Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. to every story. I like how Colleen said that one of the ways you know if you really love somebody is when they embarrass you. And uh, instead of hauling off and like slugging them, you actually love them for it. I think that's how I knew Colleen was the one for me. Um, quite honestly, after we met in uh, freshman year in college, I spent the better portion of the next two years really pursuing my wife and uh, whining and dining her, taking her out on the town, which, you know, in college is pretty much, you know, pizza and Pac-Man. That's about what that amounted to. But I showed masculine initiative, which we've been learning is the essential foundation for any relationship, scripturally really, that's God-honoring and has the chance to actually get out of the starting gate. Um, I was not a perfect pursuer, but I made it clear to Colleen that I was interested. And the funny thing is this, it took some time for her to warm up and actually show that she was receptive to me. Uh, but I knew she had affection for me one Valentine's Day, actually, when she did something that I hated as a guy, but loved as a man. It was kind of interesting. Uh, we had a campus post, off, post office, you know, like a SEPA, where everybody comes and gets their mail. And I went in to get my mail with, with some of my hockey buddies and everything there. And unbeknownst to me, uh, Colleen had snuck into the campus post office the night before Valentine's Day and stuffed my little mail slot with those tiny red-hot cinnamon hearts. You know those little red-hot hearts? Like, oh, it's so cute, delicious. Yeah, not so cute when you have 3,000 of them in your mailbox pointed down so we come in, middle of the class day, everybody's there, and I open up my mailbox and did this like, and BBs everywhere scattering across the floor. My hockey bar's like, dude. I was like, nah, you know, try to stem this avalanche of tiny little red hot hearts. And I tried futilely, and, 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 and that's when I knew that I loved this girl. And that we would spend, I would spend the rest of my life vowing revenge. You know, it was honestly something that I, I was embarrassed about, but privately I loved it because I knew it was her way of returning my affection. Uh, the risk I took to tell her, you know, I was interested in the hours we invested in conversation, getting to know her, this was her way of saying, you know what, I am giving you my heart, along with 3,000 others. <laughs> and that was really the moment where our relationship symbolically moved to the next level. Well, here's the interesting thing. What's what's happening today in the Song of Songs? We have watched in the Bible as two lovers, King Solomon and this young peasant girl that he spies working in the fields one day. They're attracted to one another, but Solomon actually takes the initiative and pursues a relationship with this woman. He values her character, her carazzo, and actually says sweet words to affirm her insecurities. He draws her out. He's upfront about his intentions. And here's the deal. Today we're going to watch as the woman responds. She actually responds to his initiative. And this is where it heats up and the relationship takes off because we know, here we go, it's going somewhere. Game on. It's not just puppy love. It's more than a casual date. In fact, it's intentionally moving towards marriage. So let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Song of Songs. We're in chapter 2, page 471 here. And uh, if you're on the internet campus, click the button. We'll send you a Bible. But follow along with us, chapter 2, Song of Songs. The woman speaks first. She's called Beloved, and she says this. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And if you just stop there, all of a sudden it's kind of like, this this woman, she kind of sounds like that's a brag, right? Like she's bragging on herself. Like, I'm a, I'm a rose, you know? But actually, here's the deal. Those were common wildflowers in Israel. So in fact, this is her way of saying, hey, you know what? I, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm kind of plain here. Nothing special to look at. If you remember, this woman wrestled with her appearance and her insecurities here already in chapter 2 start bubbling up again. But now watch what Solomon responds. He says this in verse 2. He says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. He's like, no, 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 stop. That is not how I see you. In my eyes, you are a lily among thorns. You stand out among all the other women. And again, Solomon, he is the wisest man in all of antiquity, right? He speaks these words of reassurance, of affirmation. He pledges his love to this woman. He kind of speaks into all her insecurities. Again, a man with a plan. You know what? It's a great example for us, men. You've got to use the language of love, not just in dating, but again, that's what stokes the marriage uh, fires, not just during the pursuit. You always have to let that woman know she is flawless in your eyes. 
And, and that's not just blowing smoke. In other words, the idea here is that when you pledge your heart to a woman, when you say, you know what, you are to be my wife, here's what you're saying. You are now my new standard of beauty. My wife, that's what beautiful is. That is how beauty is defined. So if you are married to a tall woman, you now say, guess what? I love tall women. If you are married to a brunette, you now say, standard of beauty, brunettes. If you are married to a petite woman, woo, small women. If she's rounder, voluptuous, awesome, more to love, that's great. That's how it works when you see your relationship as a gift from God, not a preference of man. You begin elevating it. It's a divine gift. And your beloved husband is now your divine standard of beauty. Honor it. Let her know that. Tell her regularly like Solomon does. And you know what? What effect will it have on here? Watch this. Verse 3, she returns the compliment. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. You guys know this? When someone calls out your beauty, not, not just the external, but what's deeper within your heart, what happens? Your heart warms in return. <laughs> apple trees are the rarest thing, actually, in the Middle East, very arid climate. You don't see apple trees. And she's like, this guy is special. <laughs> he stands out head and shoulders among the other young men. In other words, they're like boys. He's like this man. And then she says this, I delight to sit in his what? His shade. And his fruit is sweet to my taste. And this is significant because if you remember when Solomon first encounters this girl, where is she? She's outside working in the hot sun. In fact, she's like, don't look at my skin. I'm sunburned because I've been out here slaving away in the hot sun or the noonday sun. And she says, you know what, though? When I'm with you, it's like sitting in the what? In the shade. You make me feel what? Protected. And this is a very important, folks, because Solomon's gentle words... His affirmation is a source of delight to her. She feels protected and nourished in the presence of this man. And his words and behavior are just, they're like sweet to her taste. And this is key, my friends. In any relationship, if you're going to move it to the next level, quite honestly. Because this is really, this verse is where Solomon is in transition here. He's moving from playing the role of the pursuer. Come here, I'm like a gazelle. Spice-laden mountains. To the protector. Urgh. Back off the woman, she's mine. Not in a weird way, that was a little creepy. But she, he really, this is a protective moment, and this is how you know a relationship has legs. That it actually has a chance of going somewhere. When you spend time with the other person, it doesn't just foster these like, oh, feelings of affection, I just feel warm and tingly. But actually, I feel safest and most secure when I am with them. She doesn't just feel pursued, but protected by him. Now, the question is this, what makes her feel so safe? Look with me. Verse 4 gives us a hint. It says, he has taken me to where? The banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. First thing you notice is that their relationship was a very public one. Wide open to the public. And Solomon took her to the banquet hall here, which was one of the most visible public places in all of the kingdom. It's actually where all the family would have been, all the friends, the entire royal court. And the idea is that Solomon brought her there because he was proud of this woman. He wanted to actually introduce her to his family and friends. He was, he was not ashamed at this moment to let everybody know that I am in an exclusive romantic relationship with her. That I am gently and yet purposefully directing towards marriage. So this move here to go to the banquet hall, this is a little DTR. Solomon's like, let me define the relationship for you here a little. I am taking her to the banquet hall and the banner over me is love. Again, this is the way it should be. <laughs> this is idealized and it's so different today, right? I mean, we're men, we try to you know, keep options open or be coy and kind of non-committal, right? Solomon's like, blows that out of the water. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not playing around with this girl's heart. I'm here to lead her, not lead her on. And I'm going to honor her in front of all my friends, because that's my role. And I'm taking her to the banquet hall to meet my family, to meet my friends. I think, honestly, that's a, that's a warning sign to me. Whenever you see a couple who kind of dates exclusively, and then they all of a sudden they drop off the map. You ever see that? Two people who, who, who a guy and gal, they start dating, becomes exclusive, and then all of a sudden they, like, disappear. Like, what happened to, what happened to so-and-so? When a couple is serious, it actually doesn't mean they grow more private or shut out the people who care about them. In fact, in biblical community, they take their relationship public to, to the banqueting hall for everyone to see. Why? Why would you do that? Because it gives the people who know you best, the people you trust, to actually give you feedback. 
honest. What do they think? Not just of them, but of you, the dynamic, what's happening together. I mean, in love, you got the rose-colored glasses, but you got blind spots still. I'll understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that you bring, you know, your first date home and your, and your mom's waiting there and your six brothers, what up, dude? You know, and the 21 roommates, you know, all waiting there to pepper you with questions. What I mean is that when you have an exclusive, steady relationship where the goal is marriage, it is totally natural and biblical that you actually take the, seek out the counsel of people who know you well, who know your glories and your blind spots and can give you an objective perspective. In biblical community and open to the, you know, public relationship, it's actually natural. It's not a risk, okay? So when I hear that couples dating and one or, or both of them kind of fall off a map, that's like a big red flag to me. Because I know that either one of them is, is embarrassed by the other or maybe their relationship is going in a direction or getting involved in stuff that they're like ashamed of. That's what that says. But cultivating a romance within biblical community is God's design for all relationships, okay, whether platonic or romantic. So couples... Avoid isolation at all costs, okay? Don't cover it up. Solomon takes the girl to the banqueting hall. His family and friends are there, and he introduces her. Now, here's the deal. We all have seen Meet the Parents, right? This can be intimidating, incredibly, unless you make your date feel like Solomon does here. Read how the woman experiences this, right? He says, She's, he's taken me to the banquet hall, and what? His banner over me is... Love. In other words, catch this. Catch this image. So important here. With everyone watching, Solomon's like... <sighs> he unfurls his banner. Now, here's what the banner was in Solomon's time. This is fascinating. In, the, in Solomon's time, a banner was literally a cloth flag of the king that they put up on a long pole and waved when they went to war. In other words, when all the troops were out in the battlefield, hand-to-hand -hand combat, you know, they would get scattered and in the midst of all the smoke and blood and everything... The king would sound the trumpet and they would raise the king's banner and high up over the battlefield and wave it. And wherever the other soldiers were, they'd be like, okay, even if I've lost contact with my other soldiers, head back to the banner because that's where it's safe. I will be protected there. I will be under the king's care and protection. You get this? So in other words, as they go into the banquet hall, Solomon is waving the banner and announcing to everybody, this girl is with me. She is under my care. She's under my protection, okay? And guys, this is powerful. I know of nothing more that makes a woman, quite honestly, feel safe and secure than when a man takes the time to wave the banner of love over the woman he is pledged his life for. It is, a, it is a powerful picture of emotional security. They arrived as a couple in this very public setting, and she knew we're going to depart as a couple. So Solomon is declaring his intentions to care, to protect, to serve this woman. Everyone would have been getting the crystal clear message of his commitment to her. None of them had to like worry, a reason to worry that, oh, maybe if I don't look good, I'll be abandoned in favor of better prospects in the middle of this. Reminds me of uh, one of my all-time boneheaded dates uh, with Colleen. We were just out of college, and, uh, and Colleen was working in New York City at the time. She was working in Midtown Manhattan. She had an office Christmas party, and so she was like, hey, can you come in for it? So I'm like, oh, New York City party, all right, I'll, you know, I'll buy some black clothes. You know, that's kind of like what you do. So you get your black clothes, you take the, you know, and you go in. And I went to this office Christmas party. She had very young people at her office, very lovely people, some beautiful, young, exciting people. And somewhere in the course of, of the evening, we got separated. You ever have this happen? You know, you're, you're talking, it's like, oh, hey, you know, music, all that. We were on opposite sides of the room at one point, talking in different conversations with other people. And, uh, and I was talking with this group of two or three co-workers in, that included this older blonde woman who apparently was the office flirt. This was unbeknownst to me. Colleen was like, how did you not know she's the office flirt? You know, I'm like, I, you know, I wasn't on her card. You know, I'm the office, oh, office flirt. Hey, good. I didn't know. I didn't, honestly, I was just happy to be there. And, uh, and, and it was no, no big deal. Here's the deal. Nothing happened except this. At some point, as we're standing there in this little circle, you know, I say something funny. I honestly cannot remember. Believe me, we've rehashed this a million times. What would you say? I don't even know what I said. But I said something funny. And she goes, ha, 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 you're so sweet. And took her finger and stroked my cheek like that. At the precise moment 
where Colleen is on the other side of the room, and she's like, oh, I wonder where Tim is. <laughs> and she sees this. And let me tell you, if this was a movie, this is where you do like the split screen thing, you know? When it's all in slow motion, Colleen's like, <laughs> you're so sweet. No. <laughs> oh, needless to say, this was not our finest hour. And uh, as I spent the rest of the evening actually just knocking on the women's room door, please come out, come out, please. I'm so, I, I, didn't, I just didn't mean, ah, please. oh, not our finest moment. But let me tell you something. Taught me a lesson. <laughs> now when we go out, the last person I think about all evening is Tim, okay? Colleen is my number one concern. And guess what? My banner over her is love, okay? I'm, I don't mean in a clingy way, but we are highly aware and attuned to each other's comfort. And, and, and totally honest, that's why some of you may experience me as rude at some point. <laughs> you may have had this, and I apologize to you. I mean, even here at church, you know, we, we, we try to, you know, be friendly. Colleen and I, we try to stay together, but it's tough in a crowd this size. And sometimes we get, get separated. Uh, I remember one time I was up here kind of just going over my notes, and I saw her like in the corner of my eye out in the lobby, and she was talking with some dude who's probably like a first-time guest. And I was just like, I dropped my notes. I made a beeline out there. And I <laughs> just in service, I was like, hey, what's up, man? Pastor Tim. <laughs> Tim no, Tim, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and guys did, did one of these, you know, shook the hands like, yeah, Tim, yeah, how's that? You know, the death grip vice, and then he squeezes back a little bit. It's like, yeah, husband. You know, that, now here's the deal with that, okay? And it feels a little bit weird, but here's the deal. I think, I think it's probably on the Discovery Channel. Um, zoologists would probably call that, uh, I think they call it territorial pissing. But I think there is a much deeper spiritual reality here. There is a truth going on here. What Solomon is teaching us here, guys, is that true men always make the love of their life feel safe, secure, and protected. Cherished and affirmed at all times. We wave the banner regularly to let everybody know and affirm that woman. It's as simple as simply making direct eye contact if you're on opposite sides of the room. When we're in a group nowadays, we may get split apart, but we intentionally reconnect because my banner over her is love. That's part of what I'm doing here on stage. Some of you guys are like, man, Tim sure talks about Colleen a lot. Yeah, that's me waving the banner, okay? It may be a little embarrassing, but I'm letting her and others know that she is the apple of my eye, even though we are 10 years in. That's what that is, okay? The banner doesn't say me and her too. It says we. That's what the banner reads. Not me. We. Us. The two of us. Married couples. Am I right on this? Husbands, if, if, if you have dropped the banner... You don't regularly protect your spouse's security above your own. You have opened up your relationship to attack. That's the principle here in Solomon. Guys, stick by your wife. <laughs> Hold her hand. In fact, even now, all of our campuses, if you're married, put your arm around your wife. Eddie, put your arm around your wife. Right, there we go. Biblical moment here, okay? You wave your banner over her when you're with others because you've heard Solomon. It's very interesting. You know what he calls the woman here all throughout it? My darling. The Hebrew word for darling is vagah, and it means to guard, to protect, as a sentry standing watch over riches. I am protecting her with everything. It cuts both ways. Uh, if you're dating, uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's not just about, hey, do they really do it for you? No. Do you feel safe and secure at all times? I think it goes without saying, if you experience any abuse whatsoever, in your relationship, you got to get out of there as fast as you can. I mean, I mean literally, the, the, Bible, the Bible has a zero tolerance policy for any type of physical abuse whatsoever. It, it is never God's will for you to just kind of suck it up and, and, and being demeaned or exploited is the detestable in God's sight. And, and you got to get out of there. It's not His will for anyone's life. Uh, quite honestly, I think what happens uh, to, to a lot of women, sometimes, again, it goes both ways. I, I have had men who actually have been abused. It's, it's not uncommon. But I think for a lot of women, a lot of times, the rationalization goes like this. Well, you know, I know he's got a temper and everything, but it's like, oh, you know, he doesn't mean it. He's like Mount St. Helens, you know, he like erupts every, every couple of months. But then he, he's so sorry, he cries, he promises he'll never do it again. No. The, the, the truth is this, counselors agree, abusive behavior rarely disappears over time. In fact, just the opposite, it typically intensifies. 
with increasingly catastrophic results. You need to leave. That's, your, that's my pastoral counsel to you, hit the road. It is not your job to resolve those kinds of issues because they are very deep and you are called to follow Christ, not fix the man. Okay? My word, God's speaking to you. This woman felt completely safe, utterly secure in Solomon's presence and she experienced nothing threatening. There were no unsettling moments in their premarital relationship and she just delighted to be in his shade. Ladies, you don't have to be clingy. But men can be insecure as well. So you affirm them regularly, right? Let them know, you know what? Your, your protective instincts, you stand out like an apple tree in my forest. Now, here comes the fun part, all right? We had a sobering moment here, but now, idealize. What do you think happens next? Would you look here? This couple, I want you to think about this for a minute. This couple is sharing this deepening emotional bond. Their public banner is love. What do you think happens next? I mean, ladies, honestly, let's just have an honest moment here. When a man takes the time to woo you, to make you feel valued, loved, secure, safe, affirmed, cherished, I'm running out of synonyms. You get the deal. It warms all this stuff inside. He announces before his family and friends, I love this woman. Well, what kind of song begins playing in your head? Yeah. Dude. I don't, I don't really... I don't. You know what this one is? Anyone ever heard this song? Yeah. Stop! Stop! This is church! You people, you just take it to bad places. This is church! But honestly, this is what happens here in verse 5. Watch this, because this is amazing. Parents, if you have kids, this is the moment for earmuffs. I mean, you talk about a verse... This woman speaks, she feels cherished, protected, warm and tingly. And what does she say? Song of Solomon, verse 5, chapter 2. Let's all read it together. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am faint with love. You know what she's about to pull out? I think we all know what she is about to pull out. Yeah, you saw this coming. This is our PG-13 moment. I think we know she's about to pull out the raisins. Right? I know. Some of you can't look away. You're like, no, not the raisins. You're like, what, what are you talking? What's a big deal with raisins? I, 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 a little bit lost here. Follow me. This is the most explicit declaration of sexual desire in the entire Bible. Don't, don't you see this? <laughs> It takes a little bit here to see clearly, but here's the deal. In Solomon's time, raisins were the symbol of sexual desire par excellence. Why? Think about this very quickly. I want you to think about, notice how they're always saying raisins, apples, pomegranates. In other words, they were called passion fruits. We call them passion fruits today. And they were thought to be very sexual in a symbolic sense. That's why you see them throughout Hebrew poetry. The point is, is that they were, they were typically red or purple, right? And full of seeds. They were thought to demonstrate kind of fertility. And in many ways, they were thought in poetry to be analogous to sexual organs. You, you still see a vestige of that today. I mean, we had Valentine's Day. You don't give a girl, you know, chocolate-covered grasshoppers. You give her chocolate-covered what? Strawberries, because they're what? They're round, they're shaped like a heart, they're full of seeds. You still see that. In the ancient world, raisins were thought to be aphrodisiacs. You hear them? And any woman who actually, in fact, wanted to get pregnant, actually, would probably take raisins and bake them into these little raisin cakes. And in pagan culture, they ate raisin cakes as part of a fertility ritual, hoping that children would result. So in a very real way, when she says, strengthen me with raisins, this woman is saying, I don't know what's going on, but he's stirring something up in me. He's taking the time to show some intentions. He's told his family and friends that he loves me. Somebody break out the sun maids, right? Literally. She's, she's literally saying, I want to have your baby. Or maybe not that. But, but that's literally what this is. Verse 5 is this woman saying all this attention and this integrity, quite honestly, is arousing her sexually. She's like, it's getting hot in here, okay? That's what it is. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. And again, let me just shoot straight, folks. This is natural. It is not dirty. It is not weird. It is not evil. In fact, 
When you have a deepening emotional and spiritual bond between two people, what happens? Very naturally. They want to what? Express that physically. Think about this. As a couple spends time together, they, they draw each other out. They're increasingly vulnerable and, uh, and they make each other feel secure and valued. Guess what? The desire to express that love in a physical way really grows potently. And you know what? As two people grow closer and closer towards marriage, their passion should intensify. It's not dirty. It is part of God's design, His plan, and His purpose. I was reading some Hebrew commentators, and they were like, quite honestly, this woman was saying, you know what? Solomon's done most of the talking, and here's what I think. I love this man. I want this man. In fact, I want this man right now, in this place, in this moment. Some of you guys are like, can I get that commentary? Where, is, where do you get that? Amazon? Is that, you know, you doubt me. She goes a step further. Look at verse 6. Dreaming of her desire to be with him, she says this. His left arm is under my head, and with his right arm, he embraces me. I'm going to risk offending some Puritan sensibilities right here by just unpacking this image for you. She says, I want his left hand under my head and his right arm to embrace me. The Hebrew word here, embrace, actually translates to fondle. Okay, earmuffs. Whoa, what the... In essence, she's saying, I want him to pull me in close. And I want to get this thing started. I want him actually to stimulate, stimulate me. And it is as explicit an image of sexual desire in the Bible as it gets. And here's the deal. It was planted there by God. And it is a natural thing and it is a beautiful thing. But the question is, what you do with this desire before marriage makes all the difference in the world. In short, you can't shake the raisins prematurely. Uh, what I'm talking about is that the cornerstone of any God-honoring relationship has to have a foundation of sexual integrity. This is a couple who has grown very close. They were moving down the path towards marriage, and yet, while they'd grown emotionally intimate, they had not been sexually intimate at this point, okay? So let me come right out here and state very, very clearly the biblical view of marriage. God's plan is marriage first, raisins after. Eat up all you want, but raisins come for dessert. Nowhere in scripture is sex before marriage in any form considered honorable or right or in accordance with actually God's total design for relationships. And, and here's the deal. I totally get that the world is going to offer you all sorts of room for compromise on that. I mean, there are a million ways. I mean, we live in a crazy culture nowadays. Even some of you are tuning this out right now because our culture says marriage. Dude, back off. They're just raisins, whatever. Our world says, no, 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 no. You take the fastest route to the fruit. That's what you do, okay? That's how it works. One of the most emailed articles from the New York Times last year was an article entitled The Demise of Dating, in which the author wrote, The paradigm has shifted. Dating is dated. Hooking up is here to stay. For those over 30 years old, thank you, hooking up is a casual sexual encounter with no expectation of future emotional commitment. Think of it as a one-night stand with someone you know. Now, every, every, everyone who is under 21 right here is like, oh man, he's taking the lid off this thing. Uh, the article goes on to explore the study done by Child Trends, the Washington Research Group, that now shows there are more high school students hooking up than actually just casually dating. In other words, it's not just a fad, it's a growing trend. Friends with benefits, friends with privileges. And it flows naturally, honestly, out of a culture that is increasingly hypersexual at a younger and younger age. Statistically, a child's first exposure to internet pornography is now at the age of 10. In other words, mom and dad, if you're waiting to have that conversation until when they're a teenager, we gotta have that talk, you're too late. They already been there. They already got the message. It is not uncommon nowadays for like a junior high, high boy to actually have like a naked picture of his girlfriend on his cell phone. It's downloaded from MySpace, it's just kind of what we do now. Increasingly oral sex on a junior high level, that's now like considered the goodnight kiss of the 21st century. It's, it's insane. Why? Because it's less intimate than, than full-blown intercourse. It's crazy. It is upside down. This Times article, again, not written from a Christian perspective, says, it turns out that everything is the opposite of what I remember. Under the old model, you dated a few times, and if you really like the person, you might consider having sex. Under the new model, you hook up a few times, and if you really like the person, you might consider going on a date. 
And I realize this is going completely against the flow of contemporary culture. I get that. But the message of sexual restraint, of waiting until the covenant of marriage for sex is deeply embedded. It is the framework for the entire Song of Solomon. In fact, look at our final verse here, verse 7. You'll notice it's the woman who is all heated up here. She takes a moment in the midst of this. She says, wait a minute. And turns to the chorus, her friends. And what does she say? Look at this verse 7. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Let's read it together. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, she's saying gazelles, guys, does, women. But just whatever you do, don't shake the raisins until the moment that God ordained for it because you'll ruin everything. I know, but you have to wait. You can play around with hookups or how far can I go? with my boyfriend or girlfriend without actually having sex. But Solomon's like, no, 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 wrong question. The question isn't, where's the line? The question is, when's the time? I'll repeat this. The, the question is not, where's the line? That's what the world says. How far can we go and get away with it? The question is, when's the time? When is the moment that God actually ordained and said, Perfect moment, raises all you desire. I don't want to, in other words, with all this stuff exploding inside of her, she's just like, not yet. Not yet. This sexual passion can't be expressed until the covenant of marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, I think it's verses 1 and 2, this is a message translation. Paul writes this, he says, Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. But only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife. And for a wife to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Why? Because in married sex, there's commitment, not compromise. There's how can I serve you, not what can I get? Think about this, guys. There's, there's, there's no shame or guilt or, or, or lingering regrets like, oh, what do we do? I, did, did I go too far? I don't know if he's going to respect me anymore. Oh, gosh, I've got to avoid her now. Let me be very candid here. Um, married sex is an amazing thing. It is a divine gift. Most of us have had sexual histories that have been marred with feelings like guilt and regret and shame. God designed this thing so that those things would never even factor in. Some of us have even never... What, what are you even talking about? But in his mind, in God's mind, sex is the total culmination of a relationship... Under God's banner, one that involves shared faith, shared communication, sacrifice, integrity, and yes, ultimately, actually, great freedom. Tremendous freedom. I mean, imagine the freedom to enjoy one person's body with passion and desire and to experience something earth-shattering and then to look at one another and say, you know what? Again, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you want, the store is always open. We're never cutting off. We're not bartering. I'm not exploiting you. I'm not trying to get something out of you. I give myself to you, and you just give yourself to me, and we don't even have to wonder, because the banner's waved. It's not, where's the line? The question, Solomon asks, is, when's the time? And that question makes all the difference. Makes all the difference, guys. You know what? Here's a secret nobody talks about, uh, honestly. In the realm of married sex, you, you don't just feel closer to your spouse, but actually closer to God. You do. Because, because some of my, <laughs> raw moment, some of my best prayer times with Colleen, it's after we shake the raisins. Why? Because sex is a profoundly spiritual activity. It is as much spiritual art as physical act. And in some very mysterious way, the Bible says, a coming together of a man and the wife in the covenant of marriage. It parallels Christ's love and bond to his church. We are literally his bride. We're going to talk about this next week. But suffice it to say, guys, sexual integrity is the cornerstone. It is the foundation of any relationship that wants to go a little bit farther than the hookup. See, Western culture says it's all about finding quickest route to the fruit. That's what hooking up or shacking up is all about. In fact, that's, did you hear this? This is, this is kind of nuts. To keep up with modern times, there is a church out in Oklahoma that is offering a new wedding service. 
Uh, you guys know the traditional wedding service, you know, with, with the vows, you know, to love, honor, and cherish, to have and to hold, till death do us part. They said, that's kind of dated, and we want to keep up with modern times and, and modern relationships. So this church in Oklahoma actually tweaked that a bit, and they now offer a new ceremony for couples who aren't quite ready to take the step of marriage, but want to shake the raisins anyway. Now, you may laugh at that. That's obviously a spoof from our friends at LifeChurch.tv. That's not that a real thing. But you get their point, right? Hook up, shack up, crack up. If, 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 you're, if you're, folks, if you're not married, but you're playing married, you're playing with fire. Your banner says, me over we at all times. And it is the height of selfishness. And I get it. It is, it is the new normal nowadays. In fact, check this out. Over the last 30 years, the number of cohabitating couples in the United States rose from 1 million to 5 million. That's from 1978 to 2008, five times. And it makes a lot of sense in people's minds. They're just kind of like, well, you know, you don't buy a pair of shoes without trying them on. It's such a romantic analogy. Uh, you know, uh, or, you know we, we have to see if we could live together, if we're compatible, you know, kind of sex. Or, or, you know, there's variations. Well, we keep our own places, but we just do a lot of sleepovers, that whole thing. The divorce rate is almost 30% higher in marriage for cohabitating couples. 30%. Why? Because the foundation for the home was never laid in the first place. It is foundational. Marriage is all about self-denial. And the whole point of living together is to say, me first, let's find a workaround. <laughs> Can we somehow figure this out that we don't really have to do the whole thing? It's a heart issue, guys. It's a heart issue. You don't, there's no practice for a covenant relationship. Marriage is about saying, I believe in the love of this man or woman so much that I am taking a step of faith to affirm my love for them and to follow them into the darkness and the unknown. In fact, that's actually how we come into a relationship with God, isn't it? I trust their love even when it leads to a cross. There's going to be sacrifice made here. But I'm in. I'm all in. Honestly, um, I don't get even the whole, by the way, the logic of living together. I know, like some people say, I had one woman say to me, she said, well, I hope, I'm hoping this, my, my boyfriend's a little shy. I hope this will encourage him to take the next step, you know, in, in, towards marriage. And, and I'm like, really? <laughs> like, not to be crude, but it's like, why buy the cow when the milk's free? You remember that farmer saying? Why buy the, the cow when the milk's free? I'm kind of like, what? how would that? It's crazy. It's compromise. And according to Solomon, the foundational question is not, where's the line? How much can I get away with before marriage? But when's the time? Can I actually trust God's timing? Even when it looks like it's going to be hard, can I trust his goodness? That he's not out to like just spoil my fun, but actually protect me. And he has good intentions, goodness towards me. Do not arouse or awaken love until when? Until it so desires. Chastity until marriage, fidelity within marriage, that's the biblical view. That's it. Marriage is the hearth that God designed to contain the sexual fires of passion. Remember, the whole metaphor, guys, of our series is what? It's what? Heat, flame, sex, passion. The point is, if you want to pursue a relationship intentionally, guys, you show respect, you cultivate intimacy, you share vulnerably, guess what? Things will naturally heat up. I remember talking to a friend from college. I was actually really upset because uh, he and his girlfriend went way too far one night. They, did, they didn't have sex, did just about everything else, and uh, and actually led to their eventual breakup. She felt so guilty. He was kind of ashamed. They're both Christians. And uh, anyway, he, he, he started telling me about how they, how do you put it, how we fell into temptation. I just, he was like, he was just like, he started describing their date. And he was like, I don't know how I did it, Tim. It was like a totally innocent evening. We, we, were, we were like tired, so we went and we got, you know, takeout, and, and, and then we just, you know, we rented a movie from Blockbuster. You know, we just went back to my place and crashed on the couch. I'm like, what'd you watch? He's like, well, uh, when Harry met Sally, I was like, wow, she got to pick, huh? He's like, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and I'm like, well, what, what went wrong? And so I, he's, he's like, I, don't, I just don't get what happened. And I'm like, let me review this. So romantic dinner, intimate conversation. You're both tired and you rent a movie that culminates in sentimental sex outside of marriage with absolutely zero consequences. You're alone in your apartment. You've been dating for 11 months. It's dark. Your defenses are down. You love each other. Hello, duh. Can somebody pass the raisinettes? You've got to be kidding me. 
It's like the height of denial. I mean, there's nothing wrong with dinner and a movie, but wake up! Wake up to the power of sexual desire that God planted in you. You're the protector. Solomon writes in Proverbs 6.27, he says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? You've seen the recent wildfires in Australia. This is actually a, a, a picture of them. And what is Solomon asking rhetorically? He, he's counseling us. Don't put yourself or your date in the place of temptation. Don't arouse or awaken love until it pleases. Until you are in the safety and security of the covenant of marriage. The point is that marriage is literally, it's like a fireplace. It's the heart that contains the fires of sexual passion. We have a fireplace at our place, uh, our home. It's nothing fancy. Bricks all around the side, flue above it, screen in front. Very nice, keeps us warm in the winter. It's kind of a you know, nice little ambiance. And, uh, but I remember when Chase was little, uh, we had, you know, did a Duraflame log thing, but it like burned out. I went in the other room, and Chase must have seen, you know, I have like a little shovel and a mitt, like, you know, you like get the embers. She put the mitt on and started going. I know, great father, right? <laughs> Literally, I turned back, and I see her. She's like three years old with this little shovel, and she's trying to get the embers out of the fireplace to put them on the living room rug next to all her other toys. Because she she's like, Chasey, make fire? I'm like, no. You know, I'm out of the box, but I'm like, we're not going to be doing that. Why? It burn the house down. That's the whole point. Sexual fire in a relationship. Things will inevitably heat up, but it needs to be kept within the boundaries of marriage or it will burn everything to the ground. Do not shake the raisins until there's a ring, guys. Men, lead. Be a thoughtful leader. You're the protector. And you got to guard that relationship, guys. Don't put yourself in a position that encourages compromise. you got to wave that banner and proactively steer your date, your girlfriend, your fiancé, away from the place of temptation where the heat quickly spreads. Because you know what? Sex is beautiful. It is incredible. You're going to see this next week. Next week, we are actually going to pull the tablecloth off the whole thing, take the screen away from the fireplace... And look what godly sexuality looks like, un, unfiltered. And you know what? It's not crass. It is not beautiful. It is not smash and grab, take as much as I can get kind of thing. Remember, sex is God's chosen symbol to describe the love and commitment that Christ Jesus has for you and for me. That is his, his symbol of it. It is beautiful. It is sacred. It is spiritual art, not just this physical act. And we're going to get into this next week. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, next week is going to be probably PG-13, okay? So parents, next week, if you want to bring your teens, ages 13 and up, that would be, probably be a good time. And, and married folks, if you are looking to uh, kindle the embers there a little bit, it should be a great, great time as well. I am going to stop here because now we're going to take a few questions uh, from your text. We have invited you to actually text in some of your questions about love, sex, and relationships. We have a few of them. And I'm going to be answering them with my beautiful wife, Colleen, can you guys welcome Colleen to the stage? Come on out, sweetheart. Come on out. Good to see you. Hi, sweet girl. You are tall today. She's wearing the heels. I'm going to stand up like the man. Good to see you, sweet girl. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few of your questions, and you can text them. Um, what we've done is we set up a text, and all you do is you text it to 47201, and you type the word HEAT, and then you actually just type your questions. And what we're going to do is take some of the questions and some of the recurring ones, and then I'm just going to shove them off on Colleen to answer. <laughs> Not really, but what we're going to do is try to take two or three each week and just try to give you guys as candid uh, and honest an answer as we possibly can. Sound good? All right. Why don't we do this? We'll start with our first question. You want to throw it up there on the screen? Let's see what we got. My boyfriend and I have made mistakes sexually. Is there a way for us to start over? Wow, we're going to start with the easy ones. All right, well, here's the answer. Colleen will tell you. <laughs> um, well, Tim and I dated for eight years, as you heard last week. And we definitely, it was hard. We had a hard time and certainly made mistakes. I think we never had sex before we got married, but pretty much anybody and everybody who knew us thought we were, because it was just such a long period of time. Um, Tim definitely drew the lines of where we were and we're not going to go physically and that was great he took the lead in that um but, but we had we have some regrets right yeah absolutely i mean i think that honestly one of the biggest things uh i think is what it did to us spiritually like th there's no way you can stay close to god and be like remaining in sexually active and sexual sin outside of marriage so i would go I, first off i felt um i would always feel the next you know day just like i totally let you down 
and then I would feel like I totally let God down. And then pretty much that became a vicious cycle, and then you're not close to God, and so your guard isn't up, and so the integrity, there's cracks in the foundation, and all that kind of stuff. And um, every time that happened, it was very interesting to me, because you'd think the thing, you do that because you think it's going to draw you closer, get involved sexually, and the reality is it actually had the opposite effect for us outside of marriage. That's one of the, that's one of the paradoxes of it. Um, the good news is that you can be forgiven. You can have a fresh start. I think that was the, the big question. Can you start over? Um, you, first off, you have to actually be in agreement that actually is sin in God's eyes. But then I think you have to be realistic about like, hey, what are our boundaries that we're going to draw? Like, I mean, for us, it was just like, you know, we're at a, we were in college, you know, and it was just like, you know, hey, you, know, just, you can sleep over, you know, because you're there late anyway. Well, and definitely accountability. I think you want yeah. to bring other couples into it and um, have some sort of accountability with other people you trust. They can actually be very open with them, actually, what you struggle with, um, you know, what, what happens, uh, and, and actually ask them, could you, not, could you not only pray for us, could you ask us about that? Um, that's a big deal for us. Uh, here at Liquid, we offer life groups. I think we're starting sign-ups, Laura, for spring life groups. Um, so if you are in that season of life and you want to do life with others and you want that kind of, it's not like they're responsible for you, but they can pray for you, they can encourage you, support you, and ask the right questions. So accountability, boundaries were the big deal for us, I think. All right? That's uh, first question number one. Let's take another one real quick. Number two, you want to throw that up there? I'm a Christian. My girlfriend's not. Suggestions. It's fairly open-ended. Suggestions? Oh, Oof. Oof. look at her. Honestly, I mean, this is the funny because a lot of people, um, they think this is kind of a loosey-goosey thing, but the reality is, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul writes, he says, do not be... Uh, yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship does light have with darkness. And the picture that he's painting is this. It's actually not flattering. It's like two oxes. He's like, you know, you got two oxes. They got a yoke over them. If you have a yoke over two oxes, you get like multiplied impact. Like in other words, if you have a, a couple who both have a commitment to Jesus Christ, you can actually have multiplied impact through that dynamic relationship. But if they're pulling in opposite directions, what do you have? It's a stalemate. And the picture is a relationship is going nowhere. It's a, it's a stalemate. Or... Worse, like the more powerful one kind of yanks the other into the ditch. And I think when we were at Wheaton, honestly, we used to call it missionary dating, right? Not, I'll just leave it there. Not, it was missionary dating. <laughs> and, uh, and the idea was this. The idea was, well, you know, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date her because she's really open to Jesus. Yeah, oh, Tim, you should see, man. She like bought a Bible. She started to come to church. She really likes it, man. I think I think I'm going to win her over for the Lord. You know, that, it, it has this kind of like you know thought that this is you know this is going to be the way that you know God has ordained. I'm going to bring that person to Christ. The reality is, we had this one friend who he was like drawn like you know moth to the flame to non-Christian women. And he would date them. Inevitably, he they would sexually compromise. That was like the recurring theme. And uh, and what would happen is they'd break up. And after that happened, I we were always wondered. We we're always like. We would meet his girlfriends and he'd bring them to church. They'd get in a Bible study or a small group. And then all of a sudden it would be, what just happened to so-and-so? Because now, if they had any spiritual openness, if there was even a spark there of being open to the message of Christ, guess what feelings it's associated with now? Pain, rejection, hypocrisy, all the blow up and the shrapnel of a breakup. And we're like, if they were at all open to it, well, guess what? That door is pretty much closed now. So I think it has actually the opposite effect. You know, I, I, you, can, you can do that. I think missionary dating is kind of a sham, quite honestly. It's kind of like, no, I want to do both. Like, I want to kind of, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that beyond that? Calls like breakup. <laughs> <laughs> she stands her ground. Two words, breakup, hyphen it. Okay. Uh, we got time for one more, okay? Last question. Let's see what we got. We're living together and plan to get married. What should we do in the meantime? I would say, if she was simple, break up, I'm like, move out. You gotta move out. I'm, I'm dead serious. Uh, as a pastor, honestly, this happens all the time. We have, I have a couple come to me and say, hey, we want you to marry us. Great. And then all of a sudden they're getting their mail in the same place. And it's like, yeah, we're kind of living together, but we are getting married and everything. Here's the deal with this, guys. Um, it will be very painful to do this. And it's not trying to like, you know, bust your chops like you gotta move out. It will be painful. It will be hard. Cause here's why. You've already begun forming a marriage. Those bonds are beginning. And so typically people, when couples, when I tell them, actually, you're going to need to move out first because marriage is God's blessing on the relationship. And it's like, but we want to eat dessert first. Is that cool? No, not cool. So I'm going to ask you to stop eating dessert for between now and when your marriage is. And here's what's happened. We had four couples over the last couple of years uh, come to us about that. And we sit down, talk with them. Again, no judgment. We're not judging you or anything like that. Um, but here's what happened. Two of them said, no, it's too hard. It's too much, man. It's too... And I understand it's hard. 
that is hard. Because now we're going to actually have to kind of put the raisins back in the box, and, and, and so to speak. And it's hard. Um, one of them left the church because they were offended. Truth hurts. It's like, we, we, we want you to just kind of, you know, acknowledge that that would be okay and just, you know, gloss over it. We're like, no. One of them, though, actually were pregnant. And I said, the reality is marriage is God's blessing on a covenant. And it is, you have to make a commitment to him first before you make the commitment here. And so they said, awesome. So uh, we have to get married? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, great. Are you busy next week? And we're like, uh, are you serious? And they're like, totally serious. They're like, we want God. We've made mistakes. And so we actually want God in this relationship. And we married them the following week. In fact, they are, they're teachers now in our, in, our, uh, in our liquid kids environment. So that was kind of a neat thing. But it always is a mixed review because it's like, you know what? You've started this and the bonds are going to be hard to break. And I'd say premarital counseling. Premarital counseling for us was a huge help. We had a great um, marriage and program at Liquid, which highly Absolutely. Um, if you are interested in that, talk to your campus pastor. Uh, marriage mentoring, that's a big deal for us. And it really just raises these issues and gets them out in the open so that you can build a foundation that's going to last. Um, I think that's it. I think we're out of time. We'll get more questions next week. If you have your questions, text them to us. It is you text 47201 and then you type heat and then your question. And what we'll do is we'll get those questions. We'll take more next week. And in the rest of the series, I'll try to unpack some of those. Um, but in the meantime, first off, can we thank my wife for putting up with me? I think uh, my wife, Colleen, is she the mom? She's the bomb. She's the mom with the bomb. All right. I'm going to pray for all you guys, all our campuses. Let's stand up together, okay? Let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much um, just for um, a chance, a place to be honest, Lord, a safe place. Father, we've all made mistakes. We all have regrets. But the truth is, there is new life in Christ. There's forgiveness. And a fresh start is possible. That's what redemption is. Thank you, Jesus, that you cover all of our sin, that you can give us a fresh start. I pray right now, Lord, uh, for the singles out there, Lord, I pray that you would just infuse them with new strength for integrity, Lord. I, I pray for the couples who are dating, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them, if they have drifted, Lord, if they have, if they have compromised, Lord, I pray that you would bring them back Lord, to the foundational integrity that's necessary for a marriage. And I pray, Lord, for our, our married couples right now. We know that there are sexual wounds even inside of marriage. And I pray that you'll just restore them and bring healing, Lord. That's what we want to see. We thank you for it. And we ask you to do it all in the name and the power of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Good to be with you guys. Look forward to next week. Text your question. Bye. <laughs>